Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. Nick Durst, Michael Rockman, Brian Salsa. How are you guys doing today? Everyone ready for a crazy day of discussion when it comes to college football, pro football, and NFL draft. How are you guys doing? I am doing well, I'm doing well. I mean, the season is pretty crazy. We had some Wednesday afternoon football and RG3. And McSurley, they got robbed. The Ravens should have pulled that one out. But nonetheless, the Steelers are 11-0. And for some reason, it runs really down to the Steelers. But a win's a win. The Steelers are never a win-pretty team. That's the Chiefs. They're going to win ugly. That's what they did. They won. And we'll talk later about some big games this weekend. But the NFC East, again, we got to look at it. And it's very likely that all four teams in the NFC East lose this weekend. And things stay in place heading into the next weekend. So six wins is looking very realistic to be the division winner. Seven wins, most likely, absolutely lock that you get in there at that as the winner. And, I mean, the other, you know, we had some other big news and we'll about some firings. We'll get to that. Brian, Jets, sticking with Adam Gaze here. And this week, more drama about him saying, oh, well, I'm not calling the plays. And then he's like, oh, it's a collaborative effort. You know, it doesn't matter who's calling the plays. Just give the ball to Frank Gore and you won't score. And you need to – and then he, he finally admitted that, like, he hasn't really done much to help Sam Darnold here. And, I mean, Darnold had his full weaponry out there, and it just – it didn't look it didn't look good. So I'm interested to hear your perspective on, you know, if there's anything you're looking for the rest of the season. Because now people are saying – Oh, can Darnold really is, – is it important for him to prove himself in a trade value here? I don't think the trade value is, like, super high. Maybe you get a third-round pick from uh, – what did that – you know, the Josh Rosen, he goes after one year, and he didn't get traded for much from the Cardinals. So, you know, I don't think you're going to get a, a huge return on him, and I don't really think even if he plays amazing the next few weeks that that would really impact too much as far as what kind of draft pick you can get for him. No, I think that uh, him playing well is most important just for him. If he wants a job in the NFL at any point in time, wherever that is, you know, he just needs to play well. It's not really 
Uh, no, there probably won't be like an extra benefit unless the Jets wind up um, not wanting to draft a quarterback and keeping him. I don't see it help. It won't help hurt whatever, however he plays. I mean, they should try to keep him upright and try to keep him uh, safe to even get anything for him. But I mean, I think he's the only one that could really like benefit from playing really well. But um, you know, uh, you know, since my NFL team is terrible, I do get. I am getting very excited for bowl season. I'm always excited for bowl season, and we have a couple of strange college football matchups that kind of remind me of bowl season that I'm sure we'll get to. So it's a good time of year. That's why you see my uh, my tree in the background. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of and, uh, a lot of bowl games were were, were canceled recently, yeah. and Michael be the Rose Bowl. They were like, we really want to have fans in California. Said no. 49ers can't even play at home anymore. They'll be playing in Arizona. And the Fiesta Bowl is going to only allow family. I was focusing yeah. on the positive, you know, that, you know, whatever bowl – 40 was too many bowl games anyway. So if we only have – No, know, no pinstripe bowl. So uh, yeah. we're not going to see Rutgers in a bowl game. There's no pinstripe bowl. It's uh, definitely an interesting season in terms of all the bowl cancellations, all the new regulations set for crowds. And really – there's not much you can say about it that hasn't already been said a million times. It's a new year. It's something that's very hard to approach correctly because there's so much that we still don't know about everything that's going on. So the best thing is just to be as safe as possible to ultimately just take as much precaution as you can and just hope for the best. Uh, you know, whatever people decide that's, that's on them to decide and make those decisions. But right now for, any athletes that are playing and for any fans just try to enjoy what we can get right now and just be thankful that it's even there at all because there was talks you know in august and september that hey i don't think this is going to make it through and while there's been some rough scheduling some cancellations and some really wacky adjustments for everything going on we've, we've still gotten week in week out a lot of football in it so i'm appreciative for the most part <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, we got to be happy that we're getting football. Things are really heating up here. And for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective, go to LandryFootball.com today from high school, college to the NFL, from recruiting to the NFL draft to free agency, from pregame to postgame film analysis to all the inside scoop on players, teams, coaches, and schemes. LandryFootball.com is your source for all things football. Thank you for joining. And please help us spread the word as you can catch us in the Chris Landry Twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball. And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcast. Um, we're going to talk momentarily here about some some games of the week. Uh, but, you know, first I wanted to get your take, Michael, on Ohio State. It looks like they're going to play this weekend severely undermanned. And – I guess, you know, I think they really have to do that because look at the SEC, look at the ACC. If Ohio State's going 5-0, and I don't see how you could put them in over a team who's played 10 games at the SEC or the ACC in the college football playoff. Yeah, and it's one of those games that Michigan State may not be the best program, but they just had a huge win against Northwestern. So now you come in as Ohio State, and if you handle Northwestern, it really kind of proves you as the top dog in the Big Ten, kind of settles all questions of whether you're playing just to, you know, some of the lower competition that you face so far, or if you're really just a dominant team. And 
right now this is what they have to do. And again, the amount of games you play can have its impact. We've seen some of these schools kind of be severely underranked, in my opinion, just because of the fact that they only got three games in by the time the playoff rankings were rolling out. So really, it's just ultimately going to be a showcase type situation where Ohio State will probably get the benefit of the doubt, but they have to prove it with these eye tests that are coming in because now more than ever, the eye test is going to matter. Yeah, and I think, Brian, it would be an absolute travesty if you see Clemson beat Notre Dame in the championship game for the ACC, which is a possibility, and then you would get Ohio State in a scenario in, in over Notre Dame when their only loss is to the team that beat them. And they and the only their only loss is a team that they also beat. That would be absolutely crazy. Brian, do you want to become famous? Well, why Kevin Erra is quite the spam offer for you. Don't click that offer. Uh, Rick Michael says 25 of the 40 ball games barely had fans. So it'll be the same. Yeah, very that's very true. And then uh, Charlie wants a question for you, Michael. He just tuned in. We thank you for tuning in, Charlie. Uh, we, of course, would take questions. Send them in. Send us all your questions. We'll answer them. He wants to know your thoughts on Caleb Farley. He's not, he's not quite feeling the day one talk. He feels he'll struggle a lot the first few seasons. Yeah, so from what I've seen of Farley, and I haven't completely dived into all his tape as much as I should have. I know with the early opt-out, I probably should have gotten him out of the way first, but I've been pushing it off. What I've seen so far, though, is his length is phenomenal. He's got a very physical type of play, which I like. But at the same time, there's still a lot of mirroring issues and technique issues that I still want to see worked with. When it comes to the cornerback position, a lot of it is mostly projection, I feel like. And there's guys like Okuda where you see what they do in college and you're saying, wow, you know, he has such good technique. It's just a safe prospect. And I mean, even with Okuda, he struggled early right there in his rookie year. So a lot of it is just how much you can translate to that NFL level and how much can you see that can be translated into much better at the NFL level. So for me, I'm looking at guys like Darion Kendrick and Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes that I kind of view higher in that regard because they just offer so much. Campbell's such a physical corner, and he works very well against size matchups, absolutely shut down guys like Seth Williams in their game against Auburn. And then Eric Stokes, we've seen so much of a deep passing game take over the NFL. And he offers such elite speed. He's probably going to run in low four threes, high four twos. And the guy just can absolutely flat out cover. It's not just speed that's going to raise his stock, but he can also make some great plays on the ball and he can handle most assignments very easily in a league where, you know, you just want to send the ball deep with guys like Mahomes, guys like Trevor Lawrence that'll be stepping in and guys like Justin Herbert that are just in their rookie year. You want to see these corners that are able to adapt for the new changing league, which is really stepping into more deep passing options. And a guy like Stokes is great for that. And then, uh, you know, Wall Farley is still a very talented cornerback. I just think that right now I see a lot more upside with some of the other options. No doubt about it. And there's going to be a lot of uh, games to keep on this week. Another question here from Rick, Michael. He wants to know about Pitts and Trask. He, he was a big Trask fan. He's always commenting us about him. And can you explain why Pitts is not being talked about as a first rounder? So one of the things that I have heard when it comes to Pitts as a first rounder is it's just the idea that usually there's these first round tight ends, right? And then as you move on down the draft, there's these fourth, fifth round tight ends that end up being way better and the best tight end in the class. So a lot of it is just the production isn't always equivalent to the traits 
for what we see from these tight ends. And it's easy to get sucked in on athleticism and big catches and just receiving threats. But you look at guys like George Kittle, they weren't even very much used as a receiver in the NFL. You look at guys like Gronk, and even though he was a second-round pick still, he wasn't used as heavily at Arizona as he was in the NFL. And even guys like Kelsey, where they went to Cincinnati, they weren't really being shown as these great receivers. They were more being shown just as blockers, getting their game developed, and the athleticism was there to rely on them as receivers. So I think the biggest thing with Pitts isn't about his own gameplay. It's just about the fact that tight ends seem to be more of a, oh, draft them year one, they're kind of always going to be underdeveloped, and then they'll come in and grow their game, and we'll get that in the fourth round instead of the first round. So a lot of teams will probably pass on him, but I don't think that it's going to be a situation where he falls out of the first round. I think a surprise pick, which I've talked about before, would be San Francisco for Kyle Pitts because they've pursued Austin Hooper in free agency. They pursued a potential Evan Ingram trade, and they eventually brought in Jordan Reed. While there's a lot of needs on the San Francisco roster, I think Kyle Shanahan is really wanting a number two tight end that can really expand this offense to have George Kittle, Kyle Pitts on opposite sides of the field. I mean, that's absolutely unstoppable, I feel like, and there's just little you can do about that unless you just bring in all these new guys to adapt for it. Yeah, the last two tight ends that really went high in the draft, Engram and Ebron, neither of them at this point have panned out. Obviously, not with Ebron because he was trading, he was, you know, let go to another team. Uh, as highly touted as they were, uh, those are more like a receiving type of tight end. So something to keep an eye on there with tight ends. Uh, Thompson, over here, so Thompson here says, great answers. Thank. Uh, and, you know, we appreciate you listening. But, Brian, we got some big games this weekend. None bigger than the, the makeshift game that was just made up out of nowhere with BYU and Coastal Carolina. We'll get into that. I think it's very risky for for both teams to play that game. But before we get into the games, where can the people go to learn some more information about placing some bets this weekend? That's right. If you're interested in betting on sports and you're not sure exactly which site to use or you want to make sure you get the best bonus possible – Visit bonusseeker.com. We have reviews for every sports book out there. You can check out what each one's offering right now. Make sure you uh, get the most for your money. Bonusseeker.com. Thanks, Nick. All right, Michael. Let's take a look at some of the, uh, the games we're looking at this weekend. We got some big games this weekend. One of the biggest may not match up to the overall hype in terms of rankings, but Texas A&M, the number five team in the nation, goes against an unranked but very talented Auburn squad looking at Texas A&M really has to finish out undefeated. If they even want to hope at playoffs, they have three games left Auburn, Mississippi, Tennessee, Auburn seems to be the strongest team on the schedule. Looking at this game though, coming off of last week's victory against LSU, Texas A&M only won 20 to seven. Kellen Mond struggled overall. It was more of a defensive game for both sides and A&M really needs to bounce back because at that number five spot, they're going to have to be played in by one of these other teams blowing their opportunity in order for them to get into that playoff picture. And with these struggling games against struggling teams like LSU, they aren't going to get in and they'll be snubbed for someone else. So big game for Texas A&M, big game for Auburn to kind of bounce back and get back into that top 25. Brian, what's your takeaway for this game and who do you like in terms of spread? 
Yeah, the spread started out with A&M favored around by three and a half points. Now it's up to about five and a half points, thanks to heavy public action on Texas A&M. Usually we look for reasons to fade the public. and um, But while this is still under a touchdown, I actually like the Aggies, even uh, on the road, there is a little bit more, a lot more motivation for A&M since they still have an outside chance, you know, a slim shot at making the playoff maybe if Alabama and Notre Dame both ran the table and it knocked Clemson out, you know, who knows? Um, you know, Auburn would love to spoil the party too, but it is missing its starting left tackle against the defense that's allowed I think 10 points in the last two games. Uh, yeah, they're playing against bad teams, but the Aggies defense has been really good. So I could see Texas A&M, you know, going by the current spread. They need to win by six points. So that's the direction I'd go. Michael Clemens, the defensive end and sack leader for Texas A&M, is expected to be back in this game. That'll be huge for Auburn to try to protect this quarterback and their passing game. For players to watch, Kellen Mond is going to be in for a big game after struggling against LSU. He needs to bounce back because the biggest thing about Mond is he has all these tools that an NFL team is almost certainly going to love. But the issue is he hasn't really gotten it all together to where he can really provide any safety net for a team to believe that he can be a franchise quarterback going forward. Now, against a very talented Auburn defense, he has to come out and have a big day to redeem himself for the lackluster performance against LSU. Another player to watch is Buddy Johnson, linebacker for Texas A&M, 6'2", 240 pounds. Has a very nice range. I watched his game against LSU just to get a little bit more of a feel for him. He's a physical linebacker that can stop the run very well, make some nice tackles in open space. I think this guy could very easily be a day three, potentially late day two pick if he has some nice games to finish out the year and a strong combine to go with it. Keep an eye out for this guy, and if he has a big game against Auburn, expect to hear his name more in draft circles. For the next player to watch, check out Roger McCreary, the defensive back out of Auburn. Has some tough matchups today, whether it's Chase Lane or whether it's some of the other great receiving threats on the Texas A&M team. He is in for a big challenge. McCreary has some hype around his name, a lot, a lot of uh, day three talk for the guy. If he has a big game here, I think he could really catapult himself as a surefire day three pick. And really the question is, will he declare as a true junior? But I think with some strong performances to end the season, it'd be a nice move for him. Brian, a question I want to ask you. If Auburn loses this game, falls to five and four on the season, really uh, only one more game. Let's say they win Mississippi State, six and four on the year. Is Malzon out of Auburn? Well... To be honest with you, I have no idea, Michael. I, 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 I would, I would guess that six and four at Auburn is probably just like looked at as what a beyond mediocre season, right? And he's been there a pretty long time. Um, you know, I don't know. It's a really good question. It's possible, right? Yeah, and that could be another huge opening. We've talked about Michigan, South Carolina, obviously open, Vanderbilt open, and Texas open. If Auburn opens up, there's a lot of jobs for a lot of great coaches out there this season. For the next game, we got Indiana versus Wisconsin coming to you at 3.30 Eastern time. Indiana looking to bounce back after a tough injury to their star quarterback, Michael Penix. In this game, though, there are no excuses of injuries. They have to come out and win a big matchup for both teams as they both have one loss on the season and are looking to really – have their kind of 
big moment of the season right now. Looking at Wisconsin, obviously Graham Mertz is going to be a key piece of their success if they're able to move the ball, but Indiana's defense is going to fight back as well. Brian, who do you like in this game? Yeah, Wisconsin's a 13-and-a-half-point favorite here, um, and we've previewed a lot of Wisconsin games. We've picked a lot of Wisconsin games, and I've just basically kept picking the Badgers. You know, it's worked out some, and it has not worked out some. Uh, if you watch this offense against Northwestern, it feels like there's no way you could lay two touchdowns with them against anyone. But um, since the injury to Michael Penix, that's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, the matchup loses a little bit of its luster with the Penix injury, which is really unfortunate. Though Indiana still has some other playmakers and Jack Tuttle might be ready to step in and take over that role, it's a difficult ask against this Wisconsin defense uh, on the road, even without a full stadium. Uh, in this scenario, I think the Badgers might win big, so I'll just keep going down with this ship and take Wisconsin, giving away 13 and a half. Just want to say Jack Tuttle, 100% completion percentage on the year, so really <laughs> impossible to stop so far. For players to watch from an NFL draft perspective, Ty Freifogel has really taken a star spot in this offense. 33 receptions, 652 yards, seven touchdowns on the year. He has put together some great performances. A lot of people were talking about Wap Filer as the best receiver for Indiana, and he still might be, but Freifogel has definitely made his case. 6'2", 214 pounds, very nice frame with him as well. The next player to watch is Jerome Johnson, defensive tackle also for Indiana. He has been a key piece of this defensive line with four sacks on the year, an interception as well for the big guy, but he has been a dominant presence for the Indiana defense and one of the key pieces for this unit. Look for him to really be a big piece of shutting down this Wisconsin offense that has a very strong offensive line. On the other side of things, Wisconsin's defensive back Rashad Wild Goose is in for a big matchup, both whether he's against Freifogel, whether he's against Filer, or whether he's against some of the other weapons, this guy is in for a big day. He's had some, you know, a little bit of under-the-radar type prospect, but he's he's had a lot of talk from guys that I very much respect on social media, and I've seen a lot of hype going around for him. Doesn't get targeted often, which is what you want out of a good cornerback, but watch for him to have a uh, big game, whether it's filling up the stat sheet or not. Michael, do you think the winner of this game – despite who, you know, obviously it's not look like they're going to play Ohio State again, but do you think the winner of this game is the second best I think it's team very likely. 10? You look at the Big Ten standings, and really the only team that kind of comes into consideration in my mind would be Iowa or Northwestern. I guess Northwestern get got that victory over Wisconsin, so you can kind of consider them as still better than Wisconsin, but really in terms of just pure – Let's see what happens. I think I think the winner of this game definitely positions themselves in a good spot to claim that number two spot after Northwestern kind of blew it to Michigan State last week. For the final game of our preview, we got BYU versus Coastal Carolina at 5.30 Eastern time, a really kind of last-minute decision in order to schedule this game. Both teams didn't have a game going on anymore, so they decided to call each other up unsure how much this game will impact their potential chance to get into playoffs, but this is definitely a big matchup for both sides. BYU already very deep into their schedule. Well, both teams really are deep into their schedule as they both have 
well, Coastal Carolina, 9-0. BYU, 9-0. Nine wins each. Now play each other. Brian, big game for both teams. Big matchup for both sides. Big matchup for college football fans across the country. Who do you like in this matchup? Yeah, this is this is fun, and this is what reminds me of bowl season when you get these teams that you don't really think of as opponents for each other. They play in such you know different conferences, but that's what like makes it so fun. They're both undefeated, so there's a ton of motivation in the world, um, especially for BYU since they really want to play in a New Year's Six Bowl, and I guess so does Coastal Carolina, even though it just seems like it would be uh, tougher to ask the committee to rank them high enough. Nick might bash me for this. The Shants are a trendy team. They'll be a trendy pick this week, getting more than 10 points. It's hard to blame anyone. Grayson McCall is awesome. The uniforms are cool. The mascot is different. It's a lot cooler that it's a Chanticleer and not just called like a rooster. Coastal Carolina's fun, and they're good, but... Don't forget about their field, Brian. Yeah, the field. Oh, of course. I can't forget about the field either. There's a ton of things to love about Coastal Carolina. They are awesome. But there's a but, and I would I would be more inclined to buy down a half point or even down to nine and a half a full point and take BYU. Uh, the BYU offense is going to score points, and I'm just not sure in this particular matchup, Coastal Carolina's offense will have as much success as we've seen against some of the other teams they've played. In their two most impressive wins, that was against Lafayette and Appalachian State, they ran the ball extremely well down those defenses' throats. But BYU ranks 10th against the run in the country, under 100 rush yards per game against, and that could mean a lot more third and longs for McCall and the Coastal offense. And I'm, I'd am i be betting on BYU in this one to actually – win big but it's an amazing matchup right nick because you were talking about uh what, what whether these teams had to take this game or not and you know they really didn't uh either right. of them although byu probably needs to bolster its resume a bit more since coastal was already in the sunbelt championship game yeah so i think a few notes on this uh first time in the college football playoff era that we have two teams nine and zero or better that are non Power five schools facing off. So that's interesting note there. Uh, BYU, they wanted this game because they've been off for weeks. They were going to be off for more weeks. And they want to get that spot in the New Year's Day games over Cincinnati if it comes down to the two of them. So they need to get this win. For Coastal Carolina, this is not really smart because now if you lose this game, you're not playing in the New Year's Day games. And also, you're very likely to fall – outside of the top 20. They're 18 right now. I could see them dropping to 24, maybe even out of this. Uh, but for BYU, it's all scoresky for them because if they lose this game, they could kiss their chances goodbye uh, of playing in the Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl. Uh, but, you know, the winner of this, this matchup, Michael, they have another big game on their resume. And it's something that a lot of the other teams that are competing for – these big games won't have, like, you know, this type of matchup so late in the season uh, for the resume stacker. So this game obviously impacts these two teams, but it also has implications for Cincinnati as well, Michael. Yeah, and it's a huge matchup. And looking at from players to watch perspective for the NFL draft, a huge player to watch is Zach Wilson, obviously, the star QB that we talk about every week. I love his headshot. He reminds me of Brian so much. If Brian <laughs> put a Jordan headband on right now. <laughs> 
He's uh he's been an absolute star. He's shown off some insane arm talent, some insane mobility, and really that's going to be key for BYU looking at just how this BYU offense operates. A lot of it is deep shots, and this Coastal Carolina defense has been very talented this year and will hopefully slow that down to really kind of show off more what Zach Wilson can do once the lob passes don't work as well. Let's see him adjust. Let's see him adapt. Let's see him have some early struggles and see how he responds to it. And a big way to make QBs kind of struggle early is to get pressure, and that's where Taron Jackson and Jeffrey Gunter come in. Taron Jackson just accepted his senior bowl invite. He'll have a lot of scouts watching him soon. But in this game, it's going to be important for him to really establish himself as a presence on this defensive line. You look at what he's done so far this season, eight and a half sacks in nine games. He offers a great frame and really just at two at 6'2", 260. You're already coming in with a very nice frame. But if you can slow down a mobile, extend-the-play type QB like Zach Wilson, then you can really prove yourself to be ready for the NFL. And that will not only catapult his stock to being a secure draft pick, he could potentially be a guy that we see late day two with a great game in this one and then, you know, a continued strong offseason. Jeffrey Gunter, on the other hand, has kind of been underestimated when it comes to evaluation. He plays more of a stand-up rusher role, 6'4", 260 with a great frame, five and a half sacks on the year, three turnovers, force in the fumble category, one interception. Gunter it hasn't really been talked about as much as Jackson. So he's a guy that you're kind of looking for this guy to really have this big game to get himself in that draft talk right along with Jackson. And we'll see what happens. I think he has a great chance to have a great game. But in this matchup, you know, like Brian said, there's just so much star power on BYU that it's going to be an insane game. And I encourage everyone to watch it, even if you're just kind of a power five watcher of college football. This is a big one that you're going to want to watch regardless. Yeah, huge game, and every yeah, you know, I can see why a lot of the money's going towards close to the Colorado Brian. But the matter of fact is here that no team in this game was prepared for the other. So, is this a tr- somewhere where you'd say, "All right, let's bet the over here," or is that something where you know, in this case, you maybe we just want to stay away from this game? I think it really depends on who you think is going to dictate. Uh, the pace in this game. If you think that Coastal's offense is going to be able to score on BYU no matter what, and you kind of know Zach Wilson and BYU is going to get their points, then by all means, attack the over 61 and a half, which is, I think, where it sits right now. If you think that BYU is going to do, going to create some third and longs, kind of like what I said, some situations that Coastal hasn't really dealt with against the defenses they've played so far and that they might struggle, then getting the 61 could be difficult. It really just depends on how you see the game shape um, playing out, and that will tell you which direction you need to go with the total. Yeah, I think no doubt about it. Uh, something to keep an eye on there. And, you know, Michael, uh, when we're talking next week about college football playoff picture, you know, it'll, it'll determine whether or not one of these teams are in that, that bubble on the outside looking in. And it should be – it should be it should be a great game. It should be some something that I think a lot of people are going to tune into. It's really the only game this weekend that has 
you know, head-to-head implications. Obviously, the Texas A&M and Auburn game is huge for Texas A&M, but not necessarily huge for Auburn. And how about, I think, Brian, I saw that LSU is the the largest underdogs in the history of a defending champion. They're like 39-point underdogs or something this weekend. I didn't see that uh, that stat to go with it, but I did see that LSU has – it's quite a fall from grace from, you know, you look back just a calendar year and this team's on its way to winning the national championship. But it goes to show that a lot of things can change, and this has been a very unpredictable season. It just hasn't fallen their way. But they get a little bit of slack because of what happened last year, obviously. Yep, no doubt about it. They're, they're regrouping just a young team right now. Speaking of regrouping, Michael – Detroit Lions, they fire Matt Patricia. I do want to talk about what's next for the Lions, but what's next for Matt Patricia? Do we see him heading back to New England as a defensive coordinator? Or do you see him maybe taking a year off or pursuing college coaching? Because he's not got another head coaching job right now. So what do the immediate future holds for Patricia before we get into the Lions specifically? Looking at Patricia specifically, I think he will be able to land somewhere as a defensive coordinator, but I'm not really sure where. I don't know if the Patriots are the landing spot. I think Gerard Mayo has kind of established himself as the kind of de facto defensive coordinator. Him and Steve Belichick kind of hold that position with Bill also having a lot of say as the head coach. I'm sure Patricia could join that staff very easily, but I'm not sure if they would give him a defensive coordinator spot. Looking across the league, there are some – you know, other positions, maybe somewhere like New York, if they were to move on from their defense coordinator or just want to bring him in, that's a possibility. I think Miami is another potential spot because you look at Josh Boyer likely gets hired away as a defensive coordinator because he he's technically their defense coordinator, but he doesn't do any play calling. So he's probably, if he wants a chance at a head coaching spot, he probably leaves to find a new defensive coordinator spot across the NFL and then that leaves the Miami spot open. While Patricia wouldn't be calling plays, him and Flores have a working history, and they could potentially come together two very smart defensive guys that could potentially have some even more success with that Miami defense. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm interested to, to know, you know, Brian, you know, t- typically when a team fires a defensive coach, they're going to hire an offensive coach. I'm the only team who – didn't do that strategy was the Jets. It was just they went Edwards, Mangini, Rex Ryan, Bowles, all cut from the same cloth. Then they go to the the quarterback was for an engaged. So you would think the Lions here are gonna do a philosophical change and they'll go look for offensive coach. But do you think that this should be a situation where they should They'll look at the GM spot first. They'll let the GM decide who's going to hire the coach because it never works out when the coach is hired uh, by the owner and then the the GM just kind of gets stuck with them. Yeah, it's another thing we've seen that happens with the Jets. Uh, The arranged marriage of the GM and the coach does very rarely work out. You like the GM to at least have a say in it, and uh, that way – you can hopefully avoid a lot of problems, you know, down the road. It really does depend which direction they want to go. I think that if they are worried about the outside noise and what people are going to say about them, they will go in an offensive direction, try to sell out for one of those guys like Joe Brady or Eric Bieniemy or all these other great offensive minds that we talk about all the time. But 
just because it didn't work out with Matt Patricia doesn't mean that they have to completely go away from it. I don't even want to say defense first. I just a defensive minded head coach because uh, Robert Sala from the San Francisco 49ers, who I've mentioned before on the podcast, uh, is going to get one of these jobs at some point, and he could be a perfect fit for them. He's a hometown guy. He's from Michigan. There's actually um, a letter written by some politicians in Michigan uh, lobbying for the Lions to hire Sala. But other than that, like I said, he's a hometown guy. They might not want to change the entire identity. They do have some talented players on offense, Michael, right? They have DeAndre Swift. We know Matthew Stafford's talented. We know Kenny Galladay's talented, but we don't know what they're going to do with some of these guys. Obviously, the more veteran ones, Swift will be there for a while. But So I guess there is a lot of factors that come into play, decisions that they have to make, but they don't have to just automatically go offense because it didn't work with Patricia. And I would not – we see this all the time where Patricia's going to get a job as a defensive corner somewhere. Just because he's not a good head coach at all doesn't mean that he can't coach one side of the ball. We've seen it with Todd Bowles, who you know, has had success before, was a bad head coach, went and had success again. On defense, we're seeing it with Steve Spagnuolo, right? So uh, guys can do it. Uh, it's an interesting situation with, with, with the Lions. They have a lot of holes to fill, but they have to make all their decisions in the front office before they can really fill any of them. Yeah, Michael, any, any idea where they'd be looking for – a general manager here, you think they're going to go retread someone who's been a GM in the past or they, you know, look for that hot scout, maybe like a scout from the Chiefs or something and, you know, try to coerce him. Similar to how we saw McCagnan come from the Texans to the Jets because they're like, wow, this guy drafted J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins and somehow he knew to draft Deshaun Watson. So which way do you think the Lions would go there? And in general, what do you think is the best strategy there when, when teams are looking to fill the GM role? Uh, I think first and foremost, most likely we can rule out a guy like Nick Casario. I assume they're going to try to stay away from just going the Patriot way again because it didn't work out. And I understand the thought process there, but looking across the league, there are some, there are some options, you know, whether it's a guy like Lewis Riddick, who's been more of a analyst right now and may potentially get a job like we've heard, or there's some young great front office guys across the league and I think the biggest thing is just trying to find out what you want to do as management of the Lions. You know, if you're an owner and you're saying, okay, I love Stafford, but we need to kind of rebuild this roster and get something new going, then you find a GM who really kind of shares that same mindset with you. If you're saying, look, we got a franchise QB right now. We need to build up this roster while we can. We need to have a quick turnaround and we need to get a contender out there then you find a GM who really believes that this team can be a contender right away with one offseason, maybe two. So the biggest thing, I don't know in terms of per, uh, direct names, who to go for from a GM spot, but you want to find a guy that really shares the same values as you with this roster, whether it's rebuilding the team, getting you know three, four years to really overturn the entire roster and make a great team, or whether it's, a guy that says, hey, I can make a contender out of this. If you're a believer, I'm in here too, and we can make this thing work. And, you know, it's on ownership to decide what they think this team can do. And, you know, I believe that there's enough talent in Detroit that you can make this thing quickly turn around. But it really just comes down to making the right decisions, both from a roster standpoint to a coaching standpoint to a front office standpoint. Yeah, and uh, 
it, it, it's, it's really tough. I think hiring a GM in the NFL is the toughest thing to do. They don't get any of the credit when things are going well, and they almost get all the blame on the coach when things are bad. So it's a tough thing there. Let's talk head coach, though, Brian. Bill O'Brien, you think he might be on the list of uh, coaches, maybe, maybe coach GM for the Lions. I don't know. But, you know, we hear the usual <laughs> names. You're going to hear Biennemi. You'll hear Josh McDaniels. And, you know, I'm sure there's some other people you'll, you'll hear as well. But what, what are you thinking here as some of the hot names in the market for coaching positions this offseason? Yeah, I think like we were saying before, a name like Eric Bieniemy is going to be at the top of everybody's list. Somebody like Joe Brady might be at the top of people's list. There might even be some teams who want to hire Jim Harbaugh, even though I don't know why. But nobody's going to hire Bill O'Brien to be their head coach. There's just not a chance. That's like, well, who will get hired first, Hugh Jackson or Bill O'Brien to be somebody's NFL head coach again? I, you know, I don't See, know. And we keep going back to this, Michael. I just can't believe how much hate Brian has for Jim Harbaugh as an NFL coach. And like Rick is saying, Jim Harbaugh and the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Brian, Harbaugh or Bill O'Brien, if you had to pick one? Oh, Har- Harbaugh, yeah. Bill O'Brien is not, no. Yeah, I spoke with I, uh, I feel like Bill O'Brien's a solid coach. He's just an awful GM. And it's like, all right, so let's say the coach right here and then his GM's right here. It brings it down mostly. So, like, if you just keep him as a coach, he can be a decent head coach, I feel like. so. You, you know what Bill O'Brien's GM moves tell me? He thinks he's a better coach than he is because he thought that he could make those deals and go, I'm going to make this work. No DeAndre Hopkins, no problem. So he set himself up for that failure, and I know it doesn't take away from maybe his actual coaching, and he will, I'm sure, have another job at some point too. But uh, if Penn State wants to get rid of James Franklin, they could just bring Bill O'Brien right back. You know, it would be funny, uh, you know, if Harbaugh, Harbaugh could have saved his job if he would have fired himself as the head coach because then he could have just took the blame off himself and kept being GM. But uh, Rick wants to know, Bill O'Brien has taken his team to the playoffs how many years in a row? That's because the division was terrible. How many wins did they have in the playoffs? How many times do you see them get blown out in New England and play in the playoff team? Patriots constantly covering the spread big time. The Hopkins thing is bad because he was going to lose him because of money. Well, David Johnson has a big contract as well, but – um, yeah, at the Hopkins trade obviously looks worse and worse. Michael, where does the enemy land? He's going to have his choice of, of spots to go to. Well, first and foremost, talking about Detroit, I would love him in Detroit. DeAndre Swift with Eric Bieniemy would be dangerous. I think I think DeAndre Swift has proven right now with not great offensive play calling to be a great running back. And if we find a coach that says, hey – Let's stop giving AP the ball. Let's start giving it to DeAndre Swift and maybe carry on Johnson as a change of pace guy. Then you're going to see DeAndre Swift really take off. Adrian Peterson, legend, whatever. I'm not trying to disrespect the guy. He's a great Hall of Famer guarantee. But I can't stand watching a 40-year-old get three yards of carry and we just feed the ball 18 times a game. Like, give it to your young rookie that has had good games already. Like I mean, it, it's, only a matter, it's only a matter of time before Peterson wears the wears the green and white and is going to be and his and his career as a Jet. It like seems like it's such a Jet move to go there. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Do you think it's a possibility that Bruce Arians is looking for a job after this season? And if so, do we see Josh McDaniels take the Buccaneers' head coaching job? 
If Tom Brady says that Bruce Arians needs to find another job after this year, then maybe Bruce Arians will find another job this year. You know, I have, uh, you know, I have no idea because you know Brady's going to be there one more year at least. Although I think that they find a, find a way to patch things up after the way this is kind of going and and go at it again together. Uh, you know, next year I don't think I don't think he's gone. But I will say that if the Lions are committed to. Matthew Stafford still being the guy, then Eric Bieniemy just makes a ton of sense. He can revamp that entire offense, and with Stafford's uh, skill level, um, you know, I think he can make a lot of different things work. Even though he's not that mobile, he's kind of sneaky mobile. Uh, you just got to live with your quarterback being questionable to play every single game from now until the end of time. Yeah, I think Rick, I think Rick is a Bucks fan. He goes, no, and oh. Oh, he's a uh, Patriots no. fan. I think he doesn't want to lose McDaniel. TV 12 regarding the global flare. I don't blame him. There, legit oil and water. Uh, Michael, I don't want to cut you off there, but I do want to make a point. I said this a few weeks ago. I do think Eric Spagnola, uh, Spagnola should be, get, get some consideration for a head coaching job. Uh, I mean, look at how the way the Chiefs played defensively last year and – uh, I think it should. It's only a matter of time before he might get some consideration again. He's in a tough spot when he was the head coach of the Rams. Yeah, and another sleeper guy, and I've, I've talked about this with some of the guys I talk NFL draft with on the internet. So maybe they won't think it's as much of a sleeper pick. But look out for Mike Kafka. He's the quarterback coach in Kansas City right now. Has been there really helping Mahomes' growth. A lot of the development of Mahomes has been credited to him. He's a young former quarterback in the NFL, has a lot of great concepts now, re- le- learning under Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. It's very early, so I don't know if anyone's willing to jump the gun. But right now when you're hiring a coach, you have to decide on a guy that you think is going to be the future. You aren't saying, oh, he's not ready yet. He's, he's maybe going to be ready next year. You're saying, okay, if this is our guy, we're willing to make up for that year of lost time because we aren't looking to hire again. We're looking to find our guy for until he retires so look for Mike Kafka to at least be in a lot of head coaching talks already even though he doesn't have offensive coordinator position slash play calling duties someone who was hoping to be in, in talks for head coach position is obviously Byron Leftwich, but don't think that's going to happen this year Rick says he doesn't really like McDaniels he traded for a pair of cleats Mike interesting oh. McDaniels is certainly one of the best offensive coordinators in the league but let's move on here we got we had no Thursday night football last night because of the crazy scheduling with the Ravens and the Steelers. So we got some crazy scheduling coming up this week as well. We got some, you know, Thursday night, Tuesday night football or something along those lines every week, which is great. Uh, Wednesday afternoon games, it's just wild. So yeah, Thursday the Thursday night football game between the Ravens and the Cowboys will be played Tuesday. And there's uh, you know, while we're talking about coaches here, the Saints and the Falcons. Uh, Raheem Morissette making a big push to stay with the Falcons as the head coach. And uh, these teams played two weeks ago. Everyone thought that the Saints would lose with Taysom Hill against the Falcons. That was uh, not the case. The Saints look great. And now they're playing again. But, Michael, what do you think of the coaching job he's done so far since taking over with the Falcons? Yeah, I think Raheem Morris is a strong coach. You look at his time in Tampa Bay really was cut short. He was a young head coach at the time. Now he's had a lot of time to really grow and mature as a guy. And really, the Falcons look motivated. But I don't think he's going to hold on to the job. I think 
the Falcons are really just kind of looking forward and get their next guy at the position. I think Mahor- I think Morris has proven himself to be a strong coach, and I think he could very easily land another defensive coordinator position. And going forward, I think he's now going to be in a lot of talks for a head coaching spot after what he's done with Atlanta so far this season. But I think right now a lot of this is, you know, just a lot of motivation of being under a new regime of coaching and kind of letting go of the Dan Quinn era. So I, I'm a fan of Raheem Morris if they hire him. I, I love it because I think he's a, a good coach, but I think ultimately when it's all said and done, they'll decide to look for a new coach to step in and take over. Brian, a battle of two eight and three teams in the Browns and the Titans. I don't know how anybody can really have confidence in the Browns with the way they've played, but again, wins are wins, so those count. But uh, this is a game where I think the, the Titans assert their dominance and you know they, they're going to go on to win the AFC South then. This is the game they might use to try to make a statement to other teams in the AFC. Yeah, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, last week we saw what the Titans were able to do against the Colts. And I think a little bit of that had to do with the fact that Indianapolis was missing DeForest Buckner. You know, it had a huge impact yep. on on what they on how little they were able to stop Derrick Henry and the Tennessee offense. But we're seeing the Browns struggle with a couple of offenses like, you know, Mike Glennon and the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, almost coming back on them. And I think that the Browns have benefited from playing a lot of bad weather games and they've really been able to shut down teams and pound the rock, you know, just like that. And this would be a little bit more of a shootout could possibly be. So I don't know about the spread, you know, uh, I think Tennessee's favored by about five and a half points as of right now, but I do like the Titans to win that game. I think they just – I think they, they're going to be a, a tough cover on offense. Certainly. All right. Now, some games here, we'll kind of group them together, Michael, and we're talking talk the NFC East. You've got the Giants going to Seattle. That's going to be a tough one. Washington football team playing Monday afternoon at Pittsburgh, and you've got – the Eagles head into Green Bay at Sunday afternoon. And then Tuesday night, the Ravens and the Cowboys. I think all four NFC East teams lose this week. I said it earlier in the show. How do you see this weekend playing out for the NFC East? And which team has the best chance to get a victory? Yeah, I, I don't love the odds of the NFC East this week. Uh, maybe a little parlay play for anyone that's really confident. But honestly – Damn it. Honestly, if I'm if I'm looking at the most likely team to pull out a victory and really uh, come away with this surprise victory, it would be the Giants. And more so because this is such a Seattle game to have this like strong season going on, and then they just lose to some wacky team, and then everyone's like, "What? What just happened? What is Seattle doing right now?" And Daniel Jones has been playing well. The Giants have been playing better. So we've seen it kind of game to game where they've competed with these good teams. The Seahawks have routinely late season come out flat in these past years. And we've seen it kind of happen randomly where you aren't really expecting it. And then they lose. They kind of dominated the Eagles, even though the score was closer than it appeared. They beat the Cardinals in a big divisional matchup. So I don't know. It's It would be very Seahawks-esque of them to just come into this game where everyone's like, okay, Seahawks Giants, I'll I'll click it on, see what happens, and then the Giants end up winning in an ugly like 27-23 game or something. I mean, if, if Colt McCoy could do that, 
I think he submits himself as the best backup. Oh, man. QB in the I league. forgot Daniel Jones is out. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because, yeah, because just... it's not looking like I think like you're right, though, Michael. Right. I, I think that you still got to give the Giants the best chance. But sorry, Brian. Let me just cut you off there. No, it's okay. It's wrong. We're all saying the same thing. I mean, if Daniel Jones was playing, it would be the Giants, no question. But I'm actually going to say Dallas has the best okay. chance to win out of any of them just because uh, the Ravens haven't announced that Lamar is going to play, whether it's RG3, whether it's Trace McSorley. We, you know, I know that the Ravens found a way to score 14 points, but if it wasn't for a fumble, uh, a fumble by the special teams of Pittsburgh and then a wacky like 70 yard touchdown at the end of the game, you know, they wouldn't have scored a single point against Pittsburgh. So that means that means Dallas come Tuesday night, Dallas will be in first place in the NFC East. And we're I mean, going back to that, that week 17 game, Dallas and Giants that Michael's been hyping up for weeks now. Uh, now the other thing, we'll, we'll end on this game. And the news from Adam Schefter during the show is that John Green has announced that Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Ab- and Abram are both out on Sunday against the Jets. Is this the week, Brian, that the Jets get their first win? Oh no, 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 no I don't think so. Uh, the the Jets offense hasn't, you know, produced enough points, especially with Sam Darnold uh, at quarterback, to really warrant you thinking they could beat another half decent. NFL team, uh, the Raiders are going to be banged up and it could end up being a bit sloppier than uh, John Gruden would like to see. Uh, I know that he definitely wants to see a bounce back after last week, but I think we'll see that. You know, the Jets have a really hard time stopping the short passing game. It's what Derek Carr and the Raiders do super efficiently. They have absolutely no answer for Darren Waller. Um, At least I don't think they will. Uh, They can try a lot of things. Not a lot of things work against them. Uh, Yeah, the Raiders will find a way to win this game. It might not be super pretty, but the Jets are on the road to 0-16. think so. What's the most likely game they could win? I think it would be Week 17 against the Patriots if the Patriots are eliminated from the playoffs. That's the week that they could win a game. Well, they're not going to beat the Rams, and they're not going to beat the Seahawks, and they're not going to beat the Browns. So if it's not tomorrow, then I guess it's the Patriots by default. But I think Bill hates the Jets enough to make sure that he doesn't lose to them, especially when they're – Well, he might want to lose because he's Trevor Lawrence in the future. Well, he is a a mastermind, so I I wouldn't – And, of course, big implications on the Jets and the draft is the Jaguars that take on the Vikings in Minnesota – Vikings, like Michael has pointed out a few weeks ago, making that turn here towards the playoffs, which is very possible. And here we have Rick says the Browns will win their first playoff game in the 21st century this year. I'll write it down. And Rick says this is blasphemy. Bill Belichick went out the Jets win. Well, how are the Jets winning? If they get the number one pick in the draft, they're winning. Um, if they lose the game, <laughs> they're losing. So – uh, then, then they're, if they lose the game, they're they're winning. If they win the game, they're losing. So I don't know. It's 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 all crazy crazy stuff over there. Uh, but hey, let's let's prove for the Jets to go 0 and 16. It's it's, it's been a while. I just want to uh, circle back to one thing real quick. We talked about if Bruce Arians were to potentially be kind of forced out of Tampa Bay, and we talked about the Detroit opening head coaching spot. Do we think that would be a good fit where we see kind of this great deep ball passer in Matt Stafford, this coach that has success with these very physically talented QBs, you know, Kenny Galladay, Mike Evans, not too far apart in terms of these physical receivers. I think Evans kind of offers more as a really just speed type guy, but they're both very physical receivers that can make great plays. 
if the Lions are looking to really just quickly turn around this roster, I could see Arian stepping into this team and just kind of really taking a, a nice turnaround very quickly for Tampa or for Detroit. Yeah, it would be, it'd be a great spot. My thing is, like, Arians has already retired twice. So he retired from the Steelers, he ends up helping the Colts get to the playoffs, gets the job of the Cardinals, does a great job, retires from the Cardinals, where I read the guys him being forced out. So I think Arians still want to coach, but I'm not sure if he want to jump right back into it right away. But definitely would be a great fit. I think if Arians is available, he's – one of the top coaches available. Yeah, if he if he does get forced out, I think he'd want a team that it's really quick turnaround that next year you can potentially compete. And maybe the Falcons really offer that is you know the the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons because there he could potentially be a great fit over in Los Angeles, but I don't know if he wants to wait and try to develop uh, Justin Herbert as much where he's in his second year and you're taking a very complicated scheme. You may not want that, whereas with a guy like Matt Ryan or a guy like Matt Stafford, you could you could potentially really turn around that entire team very quickly. Real quick, Brian, let's say you're a coach, you're the hottest coach in the market. Not only were you a special teams coordinator, you're offensive, defensive. You're essentially a coach before. You get the choice between the Chargers job, the Texans job, the Jets job, the Falc- and the Falcons job, and the Lions job. What job are you taking? Well, I think that what Michael said about the stage of Arian's career and where you want to go plays a huge role into it. If you're like a young guy and have time to build it up, I think maybe you go where the best quarterback is. And that would be Los Angeles, right? Uh, Out of all of those with Herbert, uh, he has a ton of uh, upside. I think that if you want a quick turnaround, a place like Atlanta uh, in the short term probably has the best chance of maybe being turned around. Uh, But both Atlanta and Detroit play in really tough divisions with teams that you're going to have to compete with. And I mean, it's going to be tough to get a playoff spot really anywhere, you know, being honest, but uh, it's not that the chargers are, well, they are terrible. Anthony Lynn is terrible. He's going to be the next, you know, one that you hear jokes about, like you hear about Hugh Jackson or that we make about all these coaches. You think I'm harsh on someone like Bill O'Brien, who, as our listeners have even pointed out, like isn't even like necessarily a bad coach. He's a pretty good actual coach. Anthony Lynn's a terrible coach. And if anybody watched the end of that Buffalo uh, Chargers game last week and just that clock management, that was like some that was some of the worst clock management. That was management. some McAdoo, Ben McAdoo stuff. Rick wants to know, speaking of Falcons, would the enemy go to the Falcons? The enemy's going to go over – he gets the most money. That's what Mount Rule did with the Panthers. He went there. I think for me, I like the Chargers job because, hey, Justin Herbert's going to be great, but – I think the Falcons to me is the, the most appealing job because you could maybe win now with Matt Ryan, but if not, the division's wide open. You got maybe another year or two of Breeze, another year or two of Brady. And at least if you have Matt Ryan in place, you could compete for the next few years. But lots to look can, forward to there. If you can manage to land a QB, that Chicago job is also very enticing. I'll say if they, if they fire their coach. Yeah. So that's all we got for you guys today. We got to wrap this thing up. Very quick show, it seemed, but it always goes an hour. You can catch us every Monday and Friday at 3 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Eastern. We enjoy Brian for coming on the show. We enjoy all the comments in the viewers section, our viewers in the comment section, and we love all the interaction with you guys and doing the show twice a week. It's It's been a blast. Destination Draft Day. 
It's a long road, but we'll get you there. Take care, guys. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.